Welcome to the Inclusive Education Project. I'm Vicki Brett. I'm Amanda Salohi. We're two civil rights lawyers on a mission to change the conversation about education, civil rights, and modern activism. Each week, we're going to explore new topics which are going to educate and empower others and give them a platform to enact change in education and level the playing field. Welcome back, listeners. We are still January 2023. It's the longest month, I feel. I feel like there's five full weeks in January. (laughs) Yeah, it's always hard getting back from the holidays. You know, I feel like quote unquote holiday season tends to get longer and longer. Like, I feel like there used to be a decent break in between Thanksgiving and like Christmas like we could kind of go back to school and work and get Mm -hmm. stuff done. And nowadays I just feel like it all blends together so much that like even starting Thanksgiving, you're hearing the let's bring this back up. Let's circle back to it in the new year. (laughs) So then it makes January just so much longer and busier. That's true. Yeah. I feel like I had gotten a, well, uh, we'll talk to you after the holiday. And it was like the Monday, no, the two Mondays before Thanksgiving. And I was like, whoa, 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 whoa. We still have this whole week. Like I get, you might have Thanksgiving break, but like, I, what? Like, no, that's yeah. not what we're doing. But you know, we're, we are really excited. Something that Amanda and I have talked about quite a bit with on this podcast is, you know, solutions for an inclusive environment, right? So we've talked about a mindset shift. And last week we had talked to Olivier from the Forget Me Not Inclusive Classroom documentary. And the documentary presents, you know, solutions to an inclusive environment. And we're really excited today because we have somebody that is like hitting the nail on the head with her pilot program of reaching those graduate students, right? That are going into speech and language and how they can be more inclusive. So Julie, thank you so much for coming on to our podcast. Thank you for having me. It's an honor to be here. Yay. So Julie, can you just give a brief introduction and background about yourself to our listeners? Absolutely. I am a speech language pathologist by trade. I was a direct service provider in the school setting for nine years in Illinois. And during that time, I worked for two different special ed cooperatives and one public school district where I was a speech pathologist for seven years providing direct therapy to students and then an assistive technology facilitator for two years where I primarily worked with students with augmentative and alternative communication needs. So during that time, I really enjoyed working with students and getting to know families And I also felt passionate about meaningful inclusion. So not just the inclusive piece, but making it mean something to all those involved. I presented to both teachers and paraprofessionals on different trainings and programs to assist students in specials like music and behavioral supports. And then I also did some consulting and presented at the Ups for Downs network to families as well and helping on the home front. So you have such a great, I guess, like that background in being able to see kind of all sides of it is always helpful. And so how did you kind of get to the point where you felt like, hmm, maybe more training needs to be done. And it's specifically for people who, you know, are just starting to enter the field. Sure. So after 
my time in the school districts, I actually transitioned to work in higher academic learning or institutions at Western Illinois University. And then my perspective kind of shifted because previously for almost a decade, I'd sat around the table with families at IEP meetings and evaluations. And every time you hear administrators and professionals alike saying, oh, well, the parent, you're the expert, you're the expert. But let me sit here and tell you the goals that I've created for your child, Mm -hmm. usually without parent input. And let me go through my assessment results and throw out phrases like standardized test scores or percentile ranks that make you as the family less Mm -hmm. confident in questioning my results. Right. Right. So I always like felt such sympathy for the families thinking, okay, you show up for a meeting and you're nervous going into it. And it's seven Mm -hmm. to one, like professionals Mm -hmm. to Mm -hmm. parents sitting there. And even if it's prefaced with you're the expert, well, survey says after two hours of going around the table, I don't think many parents felt like the expert. No, absolutely not. And especially when we think about like, asking the parents for input and like, what do they see at home? Like that always gets asked, what do you see at home? But then not even taking that into consideration. Like I always hear, you know, oh, we took data, you know, these three times and this is what we saw. And we had these standardized tests. This is what we saw. But then if the parent says, well, that never happens at home, Mm -hmm. it's a very different scenario. It's like the only response to that is, oh, well, it's a different environment. It's home, not school. But it's like the parents spend more time with the kids than any one member of the IEP team. And so it should be taken as a higher, you know, persuasion than just, well, that's just at home. So how do you see a good way to kind of bridge that gap, being able to shift the mindsets of teachers and professionals to take what parents say with the greater salt? So in just kind of jumping into the pilot program Mm -hmm. that we've started here at Western. So in our department, we have a speech and hearing clinic on campus and kind of changing my role from the school speech language pathologist servicing kids in elementary, middle and high school Mm -hmm. to now teaching the undergraduate level and then supervising undergraduate and graduate clinicians on and off campus in local school districts and even kind of flipping to the other side of the table where I've attended IEP meetings as an advocate for parents, Mm. that kind of also helped my lens change to the parent perspective of like, okay, I want you to feel valued as a member of this team and this is how you do it. So in the parent training piece, it looked more of like parents would say to me, I really want them to be in the room with their second grade gen ed peers for science. Mm -hmm. But every time I ask for it, the school either doesn't respond or says, but they're Mm -hmm. making gains here Mm -hmm. or something similar. And I would come back with, did you use the phrase least restrictive environment Mm. or Mm. something similar to help them understand like this may help you be taken more seriously in looking at the legal terminology Mm -hmm. of it. Mm -hmm. Now, how I thought I could have a bigger role in supporting parents and the graduate students going into the field was by starting this pilot program, we call it Little Learners. I love that name. (laughs) (laughs) Thank you. I'm hoping to get t-shirts next year. Yeah. Pretty great. But currently this semester was, again, our first semester doing it. We had seven, three and four-year-olds. And 
at our clinic, we were able to have like three kind of small connected classrooms where the children would come Tuesdays and Thursdays from nine until 11. So a four hour chunk. And we kind of put it out there that all are welcome. Like you yeah. can talk, yeah. you can't talk, you mm-hmm. do walk, you don't walk, whatever. Mm-hmm. It doesn't matter. Come on in. So we were very fortunate to be able to reach out to our community and not only look at the small goals of, you know, expanding our presence in the community and allowing these kiddos to have a first chance at a school experience. But again, you know, letting our graduate students provide group services and look at how they could lead a whole classroom lesson, essentially, like in a simulated environment. So we started there and the way that I found to reach the parents was we purchased the creative curriculum and modified it so that we only included the language, literacy, and social emotional standards to kind of right. stay in our lane. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I mean, we do, we have tunnels and seesaws and a lot of gross and totally fun too, but we don't really measure those objectives. Mm-hmm. So at the beginning of the semester, I gave the parents a survey and essentially it outlined all, there were a total of 11 different standards with corresponding objectives under the domains of language literacy and social emotional skills. And Mm -hmm. I literally said, you pick your top five priorities. Oh, nice. Okay. What works for you right now at this time in your life and this time, this Mm -hmm. season for your family Mm -hmm. and your child, Mm -hmm. what are your priorities? What do you want us to work on? Yeah. And they sent them back and I told my graduate students, these are your goals. Mm -hmm. So, and we had kind of with the, using the gold assessment tool, we had a continuum of progress to kind of help the graduate students along and collecting their baseline information and tracking progress to help them know, okay, what's the difference between the next step that I'm aiming for versus, you know, three steps ahead. And again, it was very similar to the approach that we take in our speech therapy in the school setting where you may have a common core standard that you're utilizing. But again, you have these objectives, you have the benchmarks, you're taking your baseline data, you're moving forward and looking at the progress, you're conducting ongoing assessment as you need, but the starting point proves to parents that their input is valued. Well, they're being heard. They're being heard. And what I love about that is it's not just arbitrarily asking a parent, oh, what are your concerns at the beginning of an IEP? Like you're giving, it's almost like multiple choice, right? Where you're using the curriculum and you're saying, here are the 11 areas so that they can, like you said, what works for their season of life. These are the top five. It doesn't mean that you're not hitting all 11, right? If we're talking about like in a school district, because I can kind of see administrators say, well, we have standards that we have to, that's fine. But the parent is not only being heard, now they have something that's tangible that they know when they go to the IEP meeting, hey, I picked these five things. Wow. And look at all this other stuff that they're working on too. Awesome. That's what I think is amazing because a lot of times we'll get parents that want to completely change the way a teacher teaches. And that is not the, we can't control that, right? We can control the types of accommodations, you know, giving them the specific 
learning challenges that that child has. And then we should all collaboratively brainstorm and what is going to help that child learn the best. Is it an additional program in reading? Is it more one-to-one time? But what I like about you giving them, you kind of just give them choices. It's limited choices. And then you're able to not sacrifice the data. You're not sacrificing the objectives. When I know you started this semester, but how did you get all of those surveys back and completed? Like, what was the reaction to that? Were, were parents like super into it? Yes. So initially we said, we are going to set these goals for your children. And here's the survey. You can go home and discuss it, you know, with whoever lives in your household and bring mm-hmm. it back the next week. And then I allowed my graduate students to have, once the goals were chosen, to have an additional week to collect that baseline data. And next week, we're actually conducting parent-teacher conferences where we'll present the baseline information and then Mm -hmm. the current level of progress with some work samples attached to show it. I think that's so important because I can't say how many times I've been in an IEP where we're talking about an area that like parent brings up and the school team goes, well, we don't have baseline data for that, so we can't create a goal yet. And like the amount of times I say, well, if we know that like the family seen it at home And most likely there was someone who mentioned it at school. We know that it is a problem, right? We know it's something that we need to work on. If we don't have the exact measurement, like, yeah, we're going to still need to revise it, but we can at least agree that a goal needs to be created here and around the idea of what it's going to look like, then you can collect data afterwards. It doesn't have to, there's not a one size fits all to creating goals. And I think that's what I think teachers get like pigeonholed in and they're like, well, if we didn't think about it, but you know, too often, even like one member of the IEP team hasn't collaborated with the rest of the team before the IEP, right? So what they see as being most pertinent might not be the full picture. And I think that's where like the parent's perspective comes in so much because the parent is probably talking to each of these members more so than they're talking to each other. And so if they're seeing a common trend of, oh, it sounds like my child is really having trouble perspective taking across all settings. But like the teacher only saw it, like, you know, only sees it once in a blue moon and the OT only sees it every once in a while. So they're not thinking, oh, this is a big deal. But when the parent sees it's happening in all settings, it's a bigger deal. So why aren't we giving more weight to that? And I always felt bad for the parents too, when they would bring up suggestions and people would say, oh yeah, we'll put that in the additional notes. Okay, so a parent's top priority ends up on page 26. Mm-hmm. Like mm-hmm. what message is that conveying to them? Absolutely. So, and with the survey, I also didn't want to put too much pressure on the mm-hmm. parents because I felt mm-hmm. like leaving it open-ended of, oh, what do you want to work on as far as your child's social emotional development? Mm-hmm. I think that could be kind of intimidating. Like, oh, is she talking about conversational skills or is she talking about sharing? Or right, right. What? So mm-hmm. again, yep, multiple choice, you choose. And yeah, yeah. some of our students are continuing next semester. So you know what? In January, we may have some of the same or similar goals, mm-hmm. and we may have five different options. And mm-hmm. either way, ready, set, let's go. And so I love that because that's like part one of the program. And then part two is getting these first-year graduate students involved, right? To kind of be present and push in and get comfortable with what a push-in model would look like, right? Yes. So ideally, it would kind of serve as a continuum where a number of students would participate in the little learners almost as a prerequisite before they went off campus to the elementary Uh, or other schools that we're in mm -hmm. so that they do have firsthand experience serving multiple kids at the same time. 
leading a group lesson. Like we have three centers per day and I generate these like study guides based off of the creative curriculum investigation units. And then it's their job to come up with the activities and like the application piece. So again, in the schools, you're given the goals, you're given the standard, Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. but what are you actually doing in the classroom? Mm-hmm. Cause we don't want you, you know, pulling them at the table in the hallway anymore. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. That's another thing I used to struggle with was our ultimate goal is generalization. Okay. If I have you in the hallway or you in my office and expect you to do that skill back in the classroom, so many variables have changed. Yep. But if I see yep. you in your classroom and I take myself away, the environment's the same. The lighting's the same. The noise is the same. The people are the same. Your desk is the same. Mm-hmm. I think. It's only mm-hmm. that one variable and again, you're coaching, you know, teachers or teaching assistant, mm-hmm. paraprofessionals, whoever else is around. Yeah. I think it's hard for parents because, you know, they'll have private insurance, speech and language, and that's sometimes a group, but it's sometimes like one-to-one and then they see the gains their child makes. Right. And so then they think in the school setting, you know, we have to have the one-to-one because that's how my child learns best. And we get that often, you know, Hey, I'm trying to generalize this. Right. So it should be, you know, either a push in or group and parents concerns from our perspective is usually, but how do I know my child's actually getting, you know, the service. But I think with your pilot program, what's great is that you're taking those graduate students and getting them comfortable with inclusion, like being in the classroom, we just like to segregate. I mean, like you said, like so many different variables, the child could potentially generalize the skill and that's what we want to see. But if they're just one-to-one with an adult, they're not talking to other, you know, four, five, six-year-olds, where does that come in? Is that something that you're kind of telling the graduate students? Like, look, it's going to be different once you're in a public school setting, or are you just kind of letting it unfold and just having them make their own determinations of how to approach a parent, how to approach what they're going to be providing? So I do try and offer the disclaimer all the time that it's not a one size fits all approach. Oh, great. We yeah. actually had two of our students who, after they participated in Little Learners, they came downstairs for one-to-one sessions. Oh, okay. They were yeah. Working on, you know, articulation and mm-hmm, mm-hmm. intelligibility. Okay. When you're doing that, yeah, it's a lot more conducive mm-hmm. at times to have a one-to-one environment and increase the number of trials and the motor planning piece. So I fully understand. And again, if, if a parent or a family member is saying those, you know, S and Z sounds are really hard for him and we want him to get those. And we feel like his friends and his teachers will understand him better. Okay, mm-hmm. great. You know what? We're happy to work on those in a more structured, you know, kind of narrow time frame as well. So some kids even do both. And I fully, you know, agree that insurance plays a big role. There are yeah. variables. I mean, there's a lot yeah. of factors that go into any family's decision for what they pursue for their child. And I provide, you know, one-to-one services. We supervise mm-hmm. those too. Mm-hmm. And I think depending on the setting or small groups as well, each type of intervention can offer a lot of benefits. Mm-hmm. It's just when I see our graduate students moving on to the educational systems, I feel like that lack of preparation is, you know, not conducive to them jumping in to push in services from the start. And I want them to do that, to be advocates, not only for the child, but also for the families. And I think it's so important, especially, you know, if we're getting people who are 
young and hungry, mm-hmm. if they're prepared and they can push the envelope, of course, it's hard to be the young one and have people telling me, oh, this is the way we've always done things. So we're going to keep doing things this way. But if we don't get the young ones that push the envelope like that, we're not going to have anyone. Right. And we have so many people in the school system right now that have been there for so long that have that mentality of this is the way we've always done things. It's harder to get them trained because, you know, I mean, we, I'm not saying that we can't, we definitely can. Schools can be doing more about that. But, you know, if we have more and more new people coming in saying we could do things differently, we can do things, you know, uniquely, we can do it like this and like that. I think the administrators are going to see more of, oh, okay, we have people willing to make the change. Because I think that's the other part too. I've seen some administrators who want to make change but they face resistance from the staff because, you know, it's going to take more work. It's going to take more attention. So I think as much as we can get in at the ground floor to people who are just going through teaching credentials, going through their masters that are about to enter the workforce in the school system, these are the people we need, like putting pressure on the school districts to change. That's one of my big hopes for the graduate students is that during this time they build their self-confidence enough so when they have their first job or even their second job, but early on in their careers, they feel compelled to do the push-in services and offer the inclusion piece because it's not their first rodeo. They're, you know, have already have some experience doing that at some level. And I think that real world experience is something that cannot be replicated no matter how many hypotheticals you read in a book right <laughs> so i think you know, like true. i think yes. that that is that's why we were like so excited when you were telling us about the pilot program and why we wanted to have you on because there are resources out there if you are a speech language pathologist and you feel like you're not being heard at an iep meeting or you want more information Julie, where can they go to get more information about your pilot program? Maybe how they can replicate it, you know, maybe, you know, what can they do, you know, moving forward? How can they reach you? Sure. So my contact info is jl-pline at wiu.edu. And that's my work email, but I'm happy to answer any and all questions. At this time, I have descriptions and, you know, Google Docs <laughs> and all kinds of documents, but I'm hoping in the spring to get a portion of our website that includes our program and some additional information out there. I mean, I have no doubt that you'll get it together because this pilot program, I think, is going to light a fire that cannot be quenched. (laughs) Thank you so much. Thank you, Julie. We really appreciate your time. Listeners, your time we appreciate as well. Please reach out to Julie if you have any questions or reach out to us if you have any questions about your IEPs and speech and language. We will talk to you next week. Bye. Thank you. Mm -hmm.